Shannon on the podcast. Tuesday, Robert. Sirius XM. Tuesday, and uh, MLSE did not have a good night last night, Bob. I, I know we're, I try not to be too Toronto-centric, but Leafs lose, Raptors lose. Well, and we, I don't think we're going to talk about the Maple Leafs because we, I, you couldn't say anything good about them. I, I did. I was flipping back and forth, as I'm sure you were. Well, you're probably watching both games simultaneously. Yeah. You had one eye on the Leafs and one eye on the Raptors, and I don't even know how you do that, but... Um, that's, a, that's that TV background that I'm in. You have to multiple monitors, man. Well... I, I've got a new system now. You know, I have, uh, when I do it, uh, I have sound from both up too. I'll t- well, I don't even want to know about that. <laughs> uh, I don't want to overstate it, but that was about, a, I, and I didn't see the Pittsburgh game on the weekend, but I thought that Maple Leaf game was about as badly, it was about as bad as you can play. Carolina dominated that game. Just well, Carolina is a better, Carolina is a better team, Bob. Well, of course they are. They're a better team. But they dominated that game. They, you know, it could have been a million to one, and the Maple Leafs never, for a second, well, other than maybe you know the first five minutes where um, Matthews got his first yeah. goal. Yeah. After that, it was all Carolina, the yeah. whole way. Wow. And I don't know how you fix things. They're going into Chicago and litmus uh, test a, a very bad Blackhawk team who haven't won yet. Uh, well, they're not a bad. They make, I don't think Chicago's a bad team. Uh, there's, there's, I, they're playing there's, bad. They're playing bad. They, their defense is is not very good. There's lots of issues. Well, we'll see. Um, we're not going to address that. Okay. Uh, this week, as most people are aware, on the front page of the uh, Toronto Star, our friend Doug Smith um, was among those who reported on um, the fact that Masai Ujiri had a meeting with Edward Rogers, the, I don't know whether he is or isn't chairman of, of the board of Rogers. Uh, I'm not sure. Well, he, he was knew. at the time. He was at the time. He was at the time. Had a meeting with him and Edward apparently did not want the, the organization to resign Masai Ujiri. Doug Smith will join us to discuss that. And time willing, we'll talk a little bit about the team's performance last night and, um, the Raptors moving forward. Good signs, bad signs. All that coming up. Uh, podcast commences after these messages. Well, we are used to uh, having Doug Smith on to talk about his insight into uh, basketball in general, the Toronto Raptors specifically. Um, we are relatively unused to the news hound that apparently he has become. <laughs> Or perhaps more accurately, newsmaker. Because when you uh, when you when you do a story of the kind that uh, uh, Doug co-authored the other day, um, people pay attention, and uh, maybe a different crowd actually pays attention. Uh, Mr. Smith joins us now, of course, from the uh, Toronto Star. Did you, was your phone phone buzzing all day, Doug? Did you have to recharge it a couple of times? I, I, I cut off a fair number. Of- Text and calls, yes, from various people in various positions and of various levels of interest. But yeah, it was it was fun. I'll tell you, it's hard being a real reporter. Hard. <laughs> so so we know that. But those of us in the sandbox, we're, we the, the, this is a different type of sandbox. I was never more glad to see Demar Derozan than I was yesterday morning. I could just talk about basketball, do stuff that I know. It was good. That <laughs> yeah, was it was fun. Hard but fun. Well, talk about the process of putting this kind of a story together, because um, um, you 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 did not do it by yourself, obviously. No, no. Actually, Christine Dobby at our place was unbelievable. Like she's so well connected. She knows all the uh, board machinations and the and the people and the workings. And you know, we would hear things independent of each other. Got you know, I would hear something. I would tell her. She would confirm it with someone that she knows. She would find something out. I would have, have to get it confirmed by somebody I know. It really was collaborative. And she did the typing. The whole bottom of the story about the uh, Rogers Family Trust, the RCI board, you guys know. I don't have a clue about that stuff. And she really carried the ball on that one. If the fascination, too, is and, and uh, to look at all the, what I would describe as conflicts of interest. I mean, even, even, even the paper you work for, David Peterson, who is yeah. a high-profile person at the newspaper, is on the board that Edward Rogers tries to fire. Yeah, it's, it's really interesting because 
as as we've talked about with, with sports stories and signings and and trade rumors and leaks of that nature, you always the first question I ask is, okay, what is the person telling me that's getting it, getting out of it? And you got to be super careful when you're talking about billion dollar companies because you don't know what their motivations are. And if you're, you, you, the fear is you're being used, but you got to check things so that you're not. Billion dollar public companies. Yeah, yeah. That which is, I mean, the stock, Roger's stock price, I down, I think it's down five or 6% since all these stories came out. So that, it, that becomes a, a, an issue at hand. Uh, the, the other fascination for me is when I opened the paper up, and I still open the paper up, Doug, I'm a subscriber. Um, you, uh, this is a story that we had never really plugged in and it wasn't something you guys wrote in three hours. No, it was a days, days long process. I got, how did you keep it a secret? Well, that's, that's the other part. We, we were concerned at at points during the process. I guess my first involvement, heavy involvement was Wednesday afternoon and we didn't publish until Sunday night, my, my, or Monday morning, as it turned out, we filed it Sunday during the day, but my, our concern was, okay, is anybody else chasing the same angle? And we were, you're nervous because you think, okay, if, if we know this, who else does? And when are they going to get it out? Right. And as it turned out, there was nobody else chasing the Mazayu jury angle of the Rogers story. Perhaps we should take a minute here and just sum, summarize um, this story. Uh, and actually it's two levels. Because there may be people out there that are going, well, I don't know what they're talking about. I, I can't imagine that's the case, but but there might be. Publicly, the story started late last week or middle of last week that um, Ted Rogers was being ousted as chairman um, at Rogers, you know, the son of the founder of the company. Um, did I say Ted Rogers? I meant Edward Rogers. Um, Ted's son. And Edward's decision to not only fight his ouster, but to put together a group and proclaim that he himself was going to get rid of the board of directors of Rogers and put in his own board of directors of pals, chums, whatever. Uh, so that was the dominant story for, I guess, Thursday, Friday, Saturday of last week. And then uh, Smitty's piece while it identified all of those levels, also included a meeting this past summer, Smitty, I think. Yeah, uh, end of July, like the July 30th, 31st, August 1st period, but right, yeah, right before the announcement that Mazai was coming back. Yeah, that um, Edward Rogers had met with Masai Ujiri for whatever reason, either didn't like him or didn't think he was worth the money that they were talking about giving him probably both and tried to influence the decision on that. And Larry Tannenbaum effectively has veto power over those kinds of decisions, yeah. right? Yeah. He, the NBA governance system is fail safe. It, it, it demands that no matter who, what entities own a franchise, there has to be one voice and it's up to the franchise to determine who that voice is. Maple Leaf sports has determined it is Larry Tannenbaum. So he is the NBA governor and he, he is the person who deals with the NBA. Bell's uninvolved. RCI is uninvolved. Kilmer's uninvolved. It's Larry. He's the NBA governor. So he gets to make the final call to the NBA. And I think that part of the story was, I don't think Edward Rogers understood that because he called Adam Silver, the commissioner, and Rick Buchanan, the, the chief legal counsel, to try to get extract some concessions in, in Mazai's contract situation. When, when he just couldn't, because that's just not how the governance exists. And that he didn't know that is a, a little bit of level of naivete, but you know, he's got so many other things, fingers in so many other pies, maybe he just didn't know. So one of the missing pieces of the puzzle is how much is Masai being paid and how long is the contract? Well, Michael Grange had the, had it first, $15 million as a contract per year. Wow. I understand it to be five years, but there are other, the, stu the, the new stuff that we found out on, besides the number was, there are stuff tied to incentives. There are, uh, there's money tied to increased valuation of Maple Leaf sports. Right. If it goes up by 500 million, he gets so much. There are charitable components, I think to his Giants of Africa Foundation. That are, the, comp, the contract is very complex and not normal. The base salary is 15 million, which 
makes him by a margin of probably 40% the highest paid executive in, in the NBA. So it's a pretty, it, it, it's, it's a big deal. Doug, is it too simple to uh, put two and two together to, I mean, you, how many times you've been on with us and we keep asking, we kept asking you the question, when's the Besai deal going to be announced? Uh, w- was this the reason? It was, it was part of it. Yeah. Cause there were, there was issues at the Maple Leaf Sports Board that they didn't they didn't know whether Ed Rogers would be on board with it, and they, that took time to figure out that he wasn't. But there was a way around him. I'm not sure it was the driver that that took it so long because I do think, and it was confirmed by to us last week, was I wanted to wait till the end of the year to start. He wanted to take care of Bobby Webster, take care of his people, get them in place, and then he would deal with Larry. So so that wasn't particularly new, but I do think this was a a point in why it took till the end of July, first August 5th, they announced it mm-hmm. instead of just getting it done 10 days after the season ends. But it is intriguing from a timeline perspective that the alleged meeting with Edward took place only a few days before the, the contract was actually announced. Yeah. So I'm assuming that they had an agreement, a verbal agreement on the deal. Edward found out about that deal. And at that point, decide to stick his nose in and um, ultimately have a face-to-face with Masai, correct? Yeah, that seems to be exactly what happened. That that it didn't take long after that meeting. If that meeting was on July 31st, they announced the contract on, uh, or announced him coming back on August 5th. So, yeah, it was it was, it was like, the, like the last kind of meeting before we do this. And when it went south, Larry just finally said, yeah, I'm doing it. I'm the guy. I can do it. I'm going to do it. Well, I guess I guess the one you know, if if you're a sports fan in Southern Ontario or a a Leafs or a Raptors or a TFC fan of, of any ilk, uh, the question really gets asked is how does this affect me and how I watch my teams? Yeah, uh, and, and 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 truly does it? I don't think so. Not at this point. The, the one of the very interesting points that Christine got that that we didn't know about, she, she found out there was going to be a spinoff company that if, if Part of the contract negotiations with Mazai and when, at, when Edward Rogers went to Silver was there was a 12th clause in the contract that allowed him to create a spinoff company that would have melded Rogers' interest in the Blue Jays with Rogers' interest in Maple Leaf Sports. It would have changed the, it would have changed the ownership dynamic of Maple Leaf Sports dramatically. And it would have put everything under one umbrella, which may or may not be the right thing to do eventually, but it wasn't the right way to go about it. Mm-hmm. And that's the, that was, I think, the huge problem, that 12th issue in the contract, or what, what Edward Rogers went to Adam Silver with, that just wasn't going to happen because it, Bell wouldn't do it because they would lose some kind of leverage in, in an organization that all of a sudden Rogers brings in the Blue Jays and their value is how many billions of dollars, I don't know, but it, it, it ratchets up their power at the expense of Bell, let alone the broadcast stuff like that. You know, there's two competing networks who, in the basketball side, share things 50-50. Mm-hmm. If you bring in the baseball side where Rogers does 162 games, well, now now there's a dynamic there that's bizarre. Uh, just a weird kind of situation. The, the other thing is, and, and this was a follow-up uh, uh, from your uh, cohort, Bruce Arthur. Uh, he wrote a story on, on this as well. And it, not... M- not a big factor in it. it. He mentions that there's a possibility in the next five to six years that Larry Tannenbaum will sell his equity in the company. That's the first time I have ever heard that or seen that. That was a shock to me. Uh, yeah, I, I was, I was a bit taken aback too, but you know, Larry's not a young man and he's done a lot and he's got philanthropic things that he might want to do with the rest of his life. But I, I do think Mazai would have, Larry's not going anywhere as long as Mazai's contract is in place, because Mazai wouldn't have signed it if Larry wasn't going to be here. Let's, let's put it that way. So I think that's a fair thing to say. Well, it's also interesting to your previous point when John and I were at um, Rogers, and of course. Wait, hold on. We were at Rogers? Yeah, we were. Okay. And, and I, I, won't... Go back the, I wonder if I can go back on that campus. I don't think so. <laughs> well, um, and I don't, John and I have not talked about this, so I don't know how much he knew or, or, or thought he knew. Um, but there was a story, and I want to say it goes back at least three or four years of Edward's desire to purchase and spin off 
um, all the sports and media properties of Rogers, um, essentially under his own umbrella. Uh, what the relationship with Rogers would have looked like after that, I have no clue. Um, no idea how serious these conversations were. But that was, and I heard this repeatedly over a period of well more than a year, that this was what Ted or Edward wanted to do. Um, and it, it may speak to some of the things that have happened subsequent to that. It, 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 clearly, there was an adversarial relationship between Edward and the board and his siblings. Um, the fact that Edward wanted to take this chunk, which was the core of where his dad had started the company, right? right? Take this out of the equation and essentially run it himself. Now that has not materialized and in all likelihood will never materialize, but um, it does speak to Edward's greater interest in those original pieces, the media and sports pieces that Ted put together, rather than the biggest part of the empire, which is internet, cable, telephone stuff. Yeah. And, and that, just so people are, un understand, you talk about the value of the Toronto Maple Leafs, like 37.5% of the Toronto Maple Leafs, 37.5% of, of, of the basketball team. Um, the Rogers Center, or yeah, Rogers Center, formerly Skydome, all the media assets, as big as people think that is, and it's in the billions, it is an infinitesimally small part. Less than 3%. Yeah, yeah. Of, of what Rogers is worth. Well, that, that, that's the other part of this, and it's on the business cycle, so Christine knows it farther more than I. Rogers has this deal pending with Shaw that's like billions of dollars. A couple and billion, yeah. If, if there are, if there's a mess at the Rogers board, if that scuttles the Shaw deal, you're talking losses incalculable to, to whatever the new company would be. I don't, I don't have no clue whether it will change or adversely affect that pending deal, but there's got to be competition tribunals looking at it now and going, well, has Rogers got its house in order that it can assume Shaw and become this bigger thing than ever in the cell phone, internet? cable, telecommunications, apps industry that is going to be worth gazillions of dollars in the years going forward. Well, and historically, what we do know, um, we're, you know, three kind of sports guys who have yeah. some understanding of this, but not very much, let's be honest here. But the government of Canada who has to approve all these kinds of transactions has certainly not been overly receptive to the notion of big companies getting bigger. Right. And all you have to do is look at the, over the last five or 10 years, the, um, the distribution of, of cable and internet assets and the way they've tried to, it appears, allow smaller companies to buy in and prevent the Rogers, Bell, Talus even mm -hmm. from just gobbling them all up and getting bigger and bigger. Yeah, and, and that's when it gets down to the consumer, to us three guys who are paying our bills. And, that's right. And, it, and if, there's a, if there's a mess in the, at the board level of the one company that's going to control everything, the government's eyes are going to get a little bit wider, I think. And I think that's that's the bigger business story as the months and weeks and years maybe unfold. And it's at the heart of Ted Rogers or Edward Rogers and his sisters and the board of RCI. Well, we all know that uh, the public is ready to pounce on any politician that is perceived to have done any favors for friends, pals, buddies, especially really rich ones. Yeah. And um, I would think that the government of Canada would be um, very aware of the scrutiny that would come as a result of approving the Roger Shaw deal. And, and the, the funny thing and the thing that uh, sort of struck me and Christine yesterday was obviously this is not a new business story. It's been going on. There were some new bits in the last week for sure. Sure. 
but the number of people who woke up and decided, okay, now I care because Mazai's involved. Yep. Like you can screw with who owns telecoms and you can screw with that, but you can't screw with Mazai Ujiri. <laughs> and it got a whole different dynamic of people now paying attention to Rogers. Well, and, 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 and to, to that extent, Doug, you're right. Cause again, it goes back to the sports fan, all this stuff for talking about legalese and, and corporate governance, your eyes glaze over, Right. Yes. but I'll tell you what, you know, it, 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 what's going on with the Raptors yeah. and can they help the leaf power play? Exactly. You know, and, and, and here's the other thing with, with everything. And we, we did a whole show yesterday based on what's going on with the Maple Leafs and the issues going on with the Maple Leafs. How does this type of thing affect, you know, the, 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 the order of, and the demand for respectability from Brendan Shanahan, Kyle Dubas, Sheldon Keith. I mean, yeah, exactly. is this a, is this a distraction on that level? I don't think we know yet. I think that there are people that uh, that certainly care that are in the boardroom, uh, but you have to always wonder now, now that it's trickled down to this level, how it affects all of us. Well, I'm sure there were Leaf fans who woke up yesterday, read Christine and my story and thought, okay, they screwed with Mazai. Are they screwing with Shanahan? Right. You know, that kind of, exactly. that's the level. And now all of a sudden these people, like Bob said, who wouldn't know a thing about corporate governments or, or telecoms, now we're all up in arms because it's Mazai, beloved Mazai Ujiri. You know, maybe the best, maybe the best loved sports executive in Canada in the last ever. You, you can make that argument, can't you? I think so. Yeah, he I crosses think you can all too. paths, national team. Mm-hmm. Maybe, maybe, maybe Beeston back in the day in the in the mid nineties. Oh no, Beeston would have qualified for sure. Yeah. Success, but, success breeds admiration and yeah. respect and, and Paul's a great guy and Paul's a great guy relatable and, to the normal person. Well, yeah, much more. I think the three of us know him much more, much better, much closer than the average person does. And we know him to be, you know, well, he's a pal, Yeah. Um, but he was competent. That's right. And his they won, won. Yeah. And, and they won. It's yeah. all about the W's man. It's all about exactly. the W's. Yeah. You know, if Mazai doesn't win a championship, is he as beloved as he is for doing his stuff away from the game? No. Well, I can tell you this much. If Masai doesn't win five or six division championships and 50-plus games almost every year, uh, including a championship, if he doesn't do any of those, um, he isn't making $15 million a year as the uh, right. head right. guy of the Toronto Raptors. He's looking for a job. Yeah, yeah. And, that, and that's, that's no disrespect to him. No, no, he knows it. You know, the bottom line is you got to win. Yeah. And he has. Uh, The Raptors played a game last night and uh, couldn't pull it out. Um, But there were some things to take from that, and we want to discuss them as well. We'll take the quick break and come back with Doug Smith of the Toronto Star after these messages. McCown and Shannon and uh, our pal Doug Smith of the Star. Can we talk basketball? Yes, we can. Okay, can we? Oh, yeah, I can. Yeah, I can. <laughs> well, you know, now, now you're a front, you're a front page guy. Now I don't know. I, I'm surprised you, st- you took my call yesterday. <laughs> uh, I know where my where my bread is buttered, pal. You know that. <laughs> well, let's talk about this team. You know, overall, you know, decent performance last night against the Bulls. The Bulls look like they are, you know, yeah. a really good team. I don't know if they're a championship team. I suspect not. But they're good. They're better. Um, undefeated already this year. And the Raptors got down 20, but found a way to fight their way back and were a three-point shot at the buzzer away from sending the game into overtime. And there's for a young team that's still scratching and clawing and trying to figure itself out, good for them. Yeah, it absolutely. Was overall, a pretty good performance. Yeah, and you're, that's what the fans are going to get. They play hard. They defend really well. Some nights are going to win. Some nights are going to lose. That, that's, and they know it. And you know, Nick knows it. Bobby Webster knows it. Mazai knows it. They're going to be up and down all year because they are. there are a lot of kids on that team, and they're learning how to do what it takes to win in the NBA every night. Is, is it realistic to think they're a 500 team? I would, I would put them right around there. I think they can go anywhere from 30, 38 to 44 wins, okay. like right on that 500 cost. And, you know, if one guy gets hurt, then they're going to win 34. If nobody gets hurt, they might win 45. But, yeah, they're right in that group. And, you know, whether other guys get hurt on other teams, how other teams perform, like I don't know 
what the Knicks will be. Chicago, I think, is going to be really good. I think they're they, I might do be, too. they might be the third best team in the East right now. Well, yeah, and that's sort they of where I second. yeah, that's sort of I, I don't think they're a championship team right now, but but I think they're good enough to be in the in the conversation. I think the other thing we have to we should remember, and I think we we I know you do, Doug, but fans tend to forget. You can make the argument that Toronto Raptors are missing their best player. I don't know exactly. whether you think Pascal Siakam is their best player. There's there's that argument, but he's one of them, and he hasn't played a minute and right. won't and play for another several weeks, right? I would, I would probably guess two, three weeks probably still, at least. Um, yeah. He's doing some contact, but he's not at full contact. He's not, I don't think, quite ready to play. But, yeah, he's he certainly changes the dynamic of the team. Because his presence takes a lot of pressure off of guys like Scotty Barnes and Fred Van Vliet because Pascal's a very good basketball player. So they become better with him around them. The same thing with Yuta Watanabe, who no one really knows or cares about. But if you have him, maybe you don't have to play Chris Boucher, who's not playing very well because he was hurt. He's been brutal. But there's another dynamic change to the rotation. So I think when they get those guys in, give me 15 games with the full group, and then I'll tell you how good this I agree. Might be. Where yeah. does Ananobi fit in all this? He's 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 been, you know, he didn't shoot the ball well the first couple of games, but he's been really good, and he's going to be, again, he will benefit from the presence of Pascal because he won't have nearly the defensive attention. Now people are guarding OG differently in these four games <clears throat> because they don't have to guard Pascal Siakam. Now they don't have to guard. If you put OG out there with Siakam and Barnes. It's a whole different look for Adenobi than it is when you put him out there with Barnes and Ken Birch or Precious Achua. It's a different thing. So he becomes better when the guys around him are better. Yeah, I don't want to get into this discussion. Um, uh, I respectfully do not have the same opinion of Adenobi yeah. that um, my cohorts do. <laughs> As I recall. But, <laughs> but, but yeah. you know, I mean, that's, that's, you know. But they don't have any alternative right now. Let's face it. I mean, well, I mean, and I, I'm, ne- I'm not going to sit here and tell you that Ananobi isn't a good player or he's not a starter. I just don't know if he's the guy who can lead you to the promised land. Um, I'm obviously not sure about Siakam, but Siakam has shown me more than Ananobi has in that ability. But then you can go into the how many six, nine guys do, can you actually put on the court at one time? And essentially, Pascal Siakam is probably going to replace some at six nine. Is probably going to replace somebody else who's also six nine, yeah. and is his impact going to be greater um, as a result or less as a result? Well, we're going to find that out over time. But Ananobi aside, um, I got another kind of bone to pick here, and I'm intrigued by whether you guys agree or not. I love Fred Van Vliet. You can't not love Freddie. Uh, from a personal perspective, from a leadership perspective, from an effort perspective, he's top of the food chain. Yeah, he scored, what did he score, 15 points last night and 17 um, assists? Yeah. From a statistical point of view, that's a, that's a big night. Mm. That's a, that, that was like a record-setting night for him. And I watch the game on television as I do most of them. And my two pals who did the game last night over on, uh, on TSN, um, who I love dearly and have great respect for, um, went waxed eloquently about what a great night uh, Fred Van Vliet had. And I get it from one perspective. But there was another thing that was happening, and that happens consistently. Fred loves to take the ball inside. And... Um, Sometimes he's making a play for himself and sometimes he's trying to make a play for somebody else. I get it. But he is this big when everybody else is this big. And that is a place that is real, from which it's really hard for him to operate. And the piece of the puzzle, statistically, that I did not see and maybe isn't even available is how many times did he turn over the ball? How many layups did he miss? I, I don't know the number of layups he missed, but he had eight turnovers, which was a career high. He's never had more than five in a game. In eight, eight. He had he had one of those odd nights where he had a career high in assists and a career high in turnovers. Now, I actually asked Nick specifically about that after the game. He said he wasn't concerned with – he didn't think Fred's turnovers were a result of bad ball handling or bad decision-making. It's a, He just got bounced around, and he got the ball jarred because he got hit – he got hammered getting mm-hmm. in the lane. And he's got a – 
he's got to, I think Fred has to pick his spots a little bit better when he gets in there. And uh, again, I, I don't want to harp on this, but when Siakam's on the floor, that's a whole better safety valve. That's someone sure. that can, he can throw the ball out to. Right now, I don't. There, he's out there a lot of times on an island. Oh yeah, and he doesn't know where Barnes is going to be because Barnes isn't sure where he's going to be because he's a rookie and he doesn't know. He doesn't have that that outlet of Siakam, and I think that probably led to leads to the turnovers we're seeing early in the year. I think his, his turnovers are well. I don't think he's probably had a four game stretch with as many, but I think they're. They're asking him to do everything and because they don't have the other guy who can bail him out. And he's trying a little bit too hard, I think, when he gets in there. I agree. Either to get a call or make a spectacular play. Now, I, I get, I'm with you on this, Bob. He's a, very, he's a great leader. He's a great player. He's going he's gonna to figure it out. But last night, yeah, you know, 16, 17 assists, 16 points or 15 points. That's really cool. Eight turnovers is like six too many. Well, and, and, and my only point was that that was not even mentioned during the yeah, broadcast. Yeah, I don't know. No, I know you were there, right? Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. And so you're not, you're not listening to it. And I mean, I think it's, and look, I know it's a hometown crew and they want to give you all positives and not, they're not there to create controversy. That's what we're here for. And, but the truth was it mitigated significantly mitigated the impact of his performance last night. And it was just, it just went unmentioned. Doesn't, doesn't this, does Doug, doesn't this reflect more on who the second guard is? Uh, Really? I mean, because really, well, not the second second guard in, in who's, who's the backup point guard. It reflects the fact that a lot of the time last year, he played alongside Kyle Lowry. Right. Well, that's, I, I think that's kind of where, what I, what, maybe they're, they're not they're using, lost they're not, translation. Yeah, they're not using he and Dragic anymore, which be, it makes sense to me because I think Dragic is better suited as a backup. Kyle was far better suited, obviously, as a starter, but that's an entirely different front or back front backcourt dynamic for the Raptors. That not only does Fred not have the outlet of Pascal Siakam, he doesn't have the outlet of Kyle Lowry, so he always has to have the ball. Right. When he played with Lowry, Kyle would handle it half the time. Freddie would handle it half the time. That doesn't happen now. He's got to ha- Freddie's handle the ball a hundred percent of the time, pretty much, in in running half courts offense. So the turnovers are going to go up since he's got he's doing more because they need him to because they got him on this guard island out there. Right. Yeah, I I would like to see him. You know, uh, he's got a good shot and he can hit the three. I mean, he has like everybody has cold nights, but as a general rule, I'd like to see him shoot more threes and and spend less time driving to the basket because it's a place where he gets in trouble. He gets, yeah, you, he gets a lot of shots blocked for sure. He gets a lot of shots blocked. He misses a lot of layups. Um, and I, I understand it. He's, he's an itty bitty guy amongst these trees and shots are constantly being, he's forced to alter them. Yeah. And even when he goes in there and he doesn't have to alter the shots, he probably thinks he has to alter the shots. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. Right, so yeah, he's got to be he's got to be a better finisher, and maybe a better decision maker. Like on Saturday of the Dallas game, I, I noticed twice he got along the baseline in the paint, and he came out the other side instead of trying to lay up because there was like Porzingis and some other seven footer was standing there. Yeah, I think he's got to do that more rather than try to make the shot come out in the NBA. The parlance is it's it's called a Nash because that was a Steve Nash move. Sure. Get in there, get to the rim, but come out the other side and restart the offense. Yeah. You got to do that a little, little bit more. I'm sure they're pointing it out to him on film, and I presume he's smart enough to say, "Yeah, you're right. Well, I'm going to do that more." Yeah. You mentioned Dragic. Um, what do you see see out of him? And I mean, I thought it was interesting that uh, lots of people focused on uh, the pregame discussion Dragic had with his with his Dallas buddies on Saturday, yeah, but, wow, yeah. but, but, but where, where do you see Dragic fitting into all this? And have you been impressed? Uh, he's been so-so he, he's been okay, but he's played a little bit slow. He, I think he's a, I think he's certainly a backup point guard. He's not going to play 28 minutes a night. He might play 16, 18. Um, I think he's got to look for his own shot a little bit more because he's a pretty good three point shooter, mm-hmm. but I think he's not comfortable taking them right now. But he's also out there in that second group with a bunch of kids. And I don't think he's you – know, he's not used to playing with Precious Achua, Ken Birch, uh, whoever uh, – uh, uh, Shreem Akai. Like, he's not 
he used to play with like Jimmy Butler and Bam Adebayo and, and those kind of players. Um, so he's getting used to it. He's been okay, not great, but I think he'll settle into a backup role until they trade him in February. I was going to say that you, <laughs> he's not finishing the season here, is he? No, no, I can't. I can't see it. I, no, they'll I either know. they'll either find a team at the deadline that needs a veteran backup point guard, or they'll buy him out and run the last twenty games with Banton and Flynn. Well, the you know the notion that people were upset because he was chatting with his pals on the. Uh... Well, no, I just think everybody was fascinated. I don't think they were upset. I think they're no, fascinated. But he, he's, he's he's known Doncic since Doncic was five years old. Well, right. wait a second. He told me he played with Doncic's dad. What the I hell told... was going on last night? I mean, it was with Demar. Yeah. Demar comes in, and you know, and they're all yeah. hugs and kisses, and and that's not. I mean, it's the same thing, but in reverse, right? Yeah, it's, it's the NBA. It's, it's a brotherhood. And they know it. Everybody knows everybody. And they've been we get it. somewhere. Yeah, it's fine. We doesn't get mean it. They don't, doesn't mean they don't try to beat each other's brains out when a ball's in play. But they do. That's what they, they do. It, by the way, did you see the Draymond Green, uh, DeMar uh, video? I did not. I haven't watched it yet. I heard it was okay. great. It, it was, well, it was fascinating. Yeah. Um, but it really, it really leads me to believe that DeMar's still not very happy about being traded. Oh, I think it's going to, I talked to him privately yesterday morning after shoot around. He's, he says he saw Messiah Summer League and they're okay. But, yeah, he would – still, to this day, he, want, he wanted to play his entire career in Toronto. He wanted to be that guy. And the Raptors made it so he couldn't. And it, it hurt. And it's three years on. And it still bothers him. And, but, man, he's still good. He was so good last night. He, he killed him. He made, like, three straight shots in the fourth quarter. He couldn't miss in the game. fourth quarter. Yeah. Like, great. everything, whether it was threes, twos, pull-ups. Yeah. Baseline I mean, shots. He, he got, he got OG got a baseline one time. He got Barnes in the middle of the key mid range one time. He's like, he's still really good. He's going to make that Bulls team really, really good. I think. By and, the way, if if he's going to be if, if he's going to pick a city to play in, and and win, Chicago's not a bad one to do it in. Yeah, it's going to get back in the playoffs. If he's going to get them, they've been out of the playoffs. I think five of the last six years. And if he gets them in there, this group, him and Ball and Vucevic and Levine, they'll be they're going to be pretty well fetid in Chicago for sure. Well, DeRozan also went 10 for 10 from the line um, last night. And we can all recall the early days of DeMar DeRozan in a Raptors uniform when referees would not give him calls when he right. was hacked. And he could have had 10, 15, 20 free throws a night and he'd get two. And it took quite a few years for him to gain the respect of the officials so that he got the calls. Yeah. And now he gets them. Yep, yeah, and, and, and that's fine. I'm okay with and that. And he makes them. He's in there getting hit, and he, he he doesn't embellish. So when he gets hit, he doesn't he doesn't fall down. No, like he finishes through contact, and I think referees and other players respect that. He doesn't flop at all. Well, well, since you brought that up, <laughs> does it does the like the flopping in the NBA? It, it almost parallels um, major international soccer now. <laughs> it, yeah, it's not not that quite that bad, but. Well, it's pretty close. They're reining it in a little bit. You're not seeing a lot of calls made this year. And it's early in the year, and the referees might regress. But you're not seeing nearly as many egregious, oh, he flopped, whistles blown. And maybe the referees are watching a little bit more film, or maybe they've been told, look, always give the benefit of the doubt to the guy with the ball. The defender falls down, you can't can't whistle offensive fouls. Mm -hmm. And ball handlers got to know they're going to get hit. Like that, that's Nick made this point last night after the game a lot concerning Fred. Those it's like pinball in there, you go in, right. you can bang, crash, smash, bang, you, you're gonna lose the ball, but now they're not blowing a whistle. Uh, now whether they like I say whether they'll regress to the mean in December, I don't know, but history would suggest they will and they'll start blowing the whistle more. But for right now, it's just a rougher game, it's a rougher, far more physical game. Hey, uh, was it sold out last night? I didn't see the crowd. They announced it in 1980, yeah. So well, they did. Well, all, all the tickets were sold, but all the seats weren't filled. Let's put it that way. Yeah. I think there are a lot of season ticket holders still not coming or not being able to get rid of their tickets. I think the guys, the season ticket holders who put them on the secondary market, the secondary market guys on Bay Street aren't mm-hmm. making any money. So the seats are empty, but the tickets are sold. Uh, let's talk a little bit about Scotty Barnes because we haven't talked to him much since the season started. Um, I assume you're... I know I'm impressed with what I've seen. I didn't expect this level from him this soon. Um, your sense on this? He's he's really he's going to be really really good. I, you know, shot still I has agree. to get some work, but he's got good mechanics, so that's going to come. 
Um, I'm, I'm really impressed with his passing ability. Almost to the point where, and Nick brought this up last night, I think he might overpass. I think he might pass too often because he's a big, strong kid. And when he gets to the front of the rim, stuff happens. Oh, I mean, yeah. He makes a shot, he gets fouled, or the defense's, defense converges on him and someone gets an offensive rebound and a putback. I think he's got to learn that he can do that and get away with it. But I'm, I'm really impressed. His defense is just like we thought it was. He guards anybody, he guards willingly. He's got good footwork, good side-to-side quickness. Um, but as an offensive power and a threat and a multifaceted player, I'm really impressed four games in. Now, is he going to be the uh, – I had a scout tell me on Saturday, the Dallas game, they think he's going to be – in five years, going to be the best player in this draft class. Well, and he was, he was not somebody that most people thought the Raptors would draft. No, they ever thought they were going to take Suggs. That yeah. was the bottom line. That was it. And, and I, I mean, I recall, and this is often the case when you, you know, you're watching the draft and, you know, Barnes gets announced and there's kind of this, whoa, groan kind of surprise, you know, everybody expects the expected to happen every once in a while. It doesn't, he was one of those guys. He yeah. Was, you know, but I, um, I had written the morning of the draft that he was, that, that he was their guy because I know what they were like. They like willing defenders, multiple positional kind of guys who are big and he's bigger than Suggs. He plays more positions, guards better, and is a longer term, going to be a longer term, better player. I, I thought he was a perfect fit. I, I really did. And I'm, I'm surprised others didn't, but that's, that's the kind of thing around the draft that really bought that caught my uh, attention. No one gave me any consideration. Very, so, so few people gave him consideration. I thought right from the start, they got to look at this guy. Let's just look at his physical attributes. He's a legit six seven six eight. He's like a, he's not skinny, and he willingly guards people. Like that's that's pretty much Zion and Bobby's wheelhouse right there. No, but you also understand you understand this game and the way people analyze things. And he had one year in Florida, and yeah. and statistically, didn't jump off the page at no, you. Yeah, didn't do much. And Suggs had been you know on a great program, won a lot of games, was famous, sure. was in the Final Four or in deep yeah. in the tournament at least. So people knew him. Yeah, and. and if you read the draft guys who have started now for next year already, everybody's the best player in the world. But the more you write about them, the more that gets reinforced with the casual fan and Suggs, because he played in a bigger program, had more success. He became the guy everybody thought was a better player because they how, read about him more often. How, how much is you talk about the, you know, after preseason and the four games, how much do you see the confidence grow and how much it is, how much of this is on course on court confidence? It's it's growing. I think he's got to be. He's got to be. I don't, you think he's, he's deferring so, too much, though, right? Yeah, I don't. Yeah, I don't think selfish is the right word, but I think he's got to be more forceful, more often. Like he's got to understand that when he puts his shoulder down and goes to the rim, like I said, good stuff happens. So I think he's got to do that more often. And I don't know if he's deferring or not realizing that he can do it because he is still a rookie and he doesn't quite know. But when he when he becomes that guy, it's going to open up all kinds of great passes, great plays, and he becomes a far more effective offensive player. His point total might not go up, but the team will play better. Don't you think that's on Nick to, uh, yeah. you know, let him hammer- loose at some point? Yeah, Nick's hammering him all, telling him every day, you got to go, go more off. He tells up, he says it to us, Nick. So if he's saying it to us, he's saying it to him. He's saying it to him. Yeah, yeah. Hey, you know, we, we had Pascal on uh, a few weeks back, and, and he talked about he was going to have to play a role as a leader now that Kyle is gone. Um, do you see that as being a positive for a guy like Barnes as well? Yeah, because I think it takes a well, one, it takes some pressure off Barnes because it's another guy that we got to talk to who's going to tell him what to do. I think Pascal's got to step out of his personality a little bit because he's basically a inter, more, far more introverted guy than he is extroverted. But you watch him this year on the bench. He's standing up. He's engaged. He's cheering. He's, he's bringing guys in on the huddle which is a new, that's a new part of Pascal. I did this in a preseason story where I said that the shadow cast by Kyle Lowry was long. And I know everybody said it was, you know, Pascal's a max money guy. Pascal's going to get all the shots. Lowry said, it's your team. Nick said, you're going to get the shots. Kyle was still in the room mm-hmm. and his personality was still in the room. That's right. And it, it dwarfs a lot of things. It not here yet, not here now, is going to be more freeing to Siakam, I think. It might allow him to step out of himself and become that leader, 
hey, this is how we do it. This is how you do it. This is what you got to do. That he would never been able or interested in saying when Kyle Lowry was sitting two, two lockers over. Uh, before we let you go, anybody else that we haven't mentioned that's jumped off the page uh, for you, especially the newer guys in, that in, you like a lot? Nah, I, I'm kind of, I'm still intrigued by Achua, but I think he's got to learn when to back off. Like I love that he, the six nine guy can get the rebound and go get the ball, mm-hmm. dribble up the court, go. But he also has to know when he's got to stop dribbling. Like he goes every time, and he drives into offensive fouls. He drives into turnovers. He drives into crazy jump up in the air passes. But he's also second year guy who's going to figure he's that young. out. Yeah, I'm really intrigued by him. Um, he made a three-pointer in each of the last two games, first two of his career. Mm-hmm. He didn't even attempt one last year in Miami. So mm-hmm. there's a lot of there's a lot to like with him, but there's a lot of maturing to his game that's got to come. The but guy I, I the, said, the guy I want it, I want to see more of. And I I just when he when he's on his game, he's fun to watch as Wandanabi. I, I just think he's there's something yeah, there, yeah, man. Yeah, there's I, something I, there, yeah. man. Wow. I need to see him play. I need to see him play because. He was really, really good in Tokyo in the Olympics because he was a leader. He was like the second best guy, maybe the best guy in the Japanese team with Hachimura, yeah. the kid from Washington. But if he can be a shooter and a creator, he's going well, to make Chris Boucher redundant. That's for sure. There was a couple of times in the bubble in Tampa, not in the bubble, but there was a couple of times in Tampa last year. He went Shazam. There it is. Yeah. He's, got, then, it. he's got all the then, tools. Then four days, four games later, you're on. Where did he go? Well, a lot of it's opportunity too. He had very limited minutes last year with the Raptors. You know, they he's going to play a lot this year when he gets back. That's for sure. Yeah, I think he is too. Um, He's not going to be in the on the starting five at least, not to begin. I don't think, but no, no, but he'll he'll be he'll be the first big off the bench probably. Yeah, depending on how they what they do, that's going to be an interesting one. Like, what do you do with Siakam? Like, who do you take out when Siakam comes back? Because you got to take somebody out. I can't imagine they're going to take out Barnes. No, I can't imagine. I can't foresee. I can't see that. They're gonna. They gotta take out Gary Trent. The only one that makes sense. Who had a pretty good game last night? Yeah, he's he's a great scorer. He's like he's a far better player as it as it seems as a starter than off the bench. But tough. You got to get used to it. Like yeah. I, I don't. Yeah, I, I. It's gonna be really interesting what they do with, when Pascal's back. Who they? Because I don't think they want Pascal guarding centers. So I think you got to stay with the Chua or Birch. Mm. Then you use Barnes, Ananobi, Siakam with Van Vliet. Yeah, I think you're right. Uh, we got to get out of here. We uh, thank you as always, Mr. Smith, and uh, congratulations on the investigative reporting that you have. Scoop Smith. Uh, Scoop, Scoop Smith. Smith. Uh, we appreciate it as always. We'll uh, talk to you soon. Doug Smith of the uh, Toronto Star. We'll come back and wrap it after these messages. So thanks to Smitty for joining us. Doug Smith of the Toronto Star, playing investigative reporter and doing a, a most, it's a most that, interesting story. That sounds like work. I've you know it's funny all the years. There's a couple of times you had, you dipped your toe into the real news world. That is a different world than we live in, Bob. That well, it is sure a different is. Different world. I mean, my goodness gracious, this is pretty serious stuff. Yeah, and um, it is really intriguing. This is a personal observation. I don't know how much you've experienced this, but it but years later people remember that stuff a lot more than they do you know last night's hockey game or basketball game or what you said about this that and the other thing um and it it, they are moments i think doug is feeling that there are moments where you feel like this job that you've taken on actually has value and importance is is the wrong word but it, it, it is of significance well and and here's the thing it also uh when you come out with pure news um you become part of part of the story you become part of the story and 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 you're under the microscope and you you know you're starting at at a certain point you 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 review what you wrote or what you said and then you start to wonder why are they talking about me i mean i'm not the story and so there are lots of people in our business that want to report the news and want to be part of the news but as soon as the focus becomes on them, it really is a jarring movement. It, it's jarring to you. And that, that, that's, that's fascinating to, to uh, have listened to Doug talk about the process that he went through 
and uh, how, how happy he was to go to, to the morning shooter round and talk to players again. Well, it's also interesting. And I, I mean, I, I can think of numerous times that this happened to me, but one of them was the Sidney Crosby injury. Remember the oh, neck injury? I was, we were there in Ottawa. With we you were know. in Ottawa. Yeah. yeah. And I just got deluged with people wanting to talk about like, how did you find out? Who do you talk to? What did you do? Blah, 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 on and, and I thought, well, like I've given you everything I'm going to give you. There isn't any more. Well, but, and as I recall, what happens in those situations, it's not necessarily the story uh, that you've, you've told, but they challenge your authority to tell the story. Oh, of course they do. Yeah. And, and, that, and then you go at one point, guys, I'm telling you the truth. I'm not making this stuff up. I mean, there's no advantage of making stuff up. And look, you would be the first to acknowledge that Bob McCowan doing a, uh, breaking a hockey story is not exactly what you expect. I get that. I am not the ins hockey insider hockey puck, but I got the story. I checked it. I, I, I made sure it was accurate Yeah. and I took my time at it and, um, and it was ultimately confirmed that yeah. it was, was accurate and was not what everybody else was talking about. Yeah. And the, and listen, and, and to, just to, to wrap up on the, the Rogers yeah. saga, okay. I mean, just, you know, fans want to know how it affects their teams in the Definitely. end how does it affect their team does it help me get w's does it does it hurt me with losses and other than that corporate governance kind of eyes glaze over most of the time i'm sure smitty feels good about the work that he did um he should yeah. um and we applaud him um and his co-author uh for the uh the story that they revealed to us and uh it will have ramifications for some period of time uh that'll do it for us we uh, hope you enjoyed this edition and uh, we'll return for yet another somewhere down the road uh, for John Shannon, Bob McCowan. We'll, we'll see you tomorrow. Baseball, baseball tomorrow. World Series game one. Good night. Yes, sir. See you then. Goodbye, everybody. Goodbye.